0: We're considering 2 Corinthians 13:14 today, powerful truth of the Bible. We're able to understand it, but it's still hard to comprehend at the same time. If there's one God who always was, who is, and who always will be, Yet, nevertheless that one God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one of those persons, the Son, became a human being. Knowing God fully as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit leads us to living a full life in God. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be with you all. Here he talks about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at the end of this letter revealed most pointedly by Jesus, the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection in Matthew 28 where he says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He mentioned the triune God there. It was revealed in the Old Testament too. The same Old Testament that says in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, one Lord. Uh, the same Old Testament talked about this triune God from the beginning in Genesis 1, verse 26. It says, let us make man in our image. God said, let us make man in our image. Even in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is called a little Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible and there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks about creation and the power of God, and the holiness of God, the need for repentance, the salvation of God through the suffering servant. And also speaks about the Trinity. In Isaiah 48, verse 16, it says, "...the Sovereign Lord has sent me with His Spirit." The Sovereign Lord, the Father, has sent me, the Son, with His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it starts out in this passage in 2 Corinthians 13, closing the letter out by talking about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. There is not another son, ever. He's unique. Even from his birth, this was known that the Lord Jesus is God coming to the flesh. The prophets prophesied 750 years before he came to earth. Micah said, Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you will come a ruler, whose origins are from ancient days. There's going to be a child born in New Bethlehem, but his origins were way before that. Isaiah, the little Bible, speaks about it. In Isaiah 7:14, says, The virgin will be with child and shall give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel well, means God with us. That the virgin, you know, there's only one virgin birth ever in the history of the world, we would give it birth to a son, and that son would be God with us. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, To us a child is given, to us a son is born, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The son born would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Counselor. This Son born would be the Wonderful Counselor, the Spirit of God, would be the Everlasting Father. He would be God in all His fullness. It's interesting to me that when the Jews translated the Old Testament in 250 B.C., the Jews came to this passage in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 and they looked at it and they said, wow, we don't know what that means and we don't like what it says. And so they just dropped out Mighty God and Everlasting Father and did not translate it. They said, The Son will be given to us. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. In the story. Even back before He came to earth, they didn't know what to do with it. The three-in-one God is known from the account of creation. Genesis 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing nothing was made that has been made. That word was the Son of God come in the flesh, as verse fourteen says. Hebrews one verse two says, In these last days God has spoken to us through a Son, through whom He made the universe. He made the universe through Him. Colossians one sixteen says talking about the Son of God, it says all things were made by Him and all things were made for Him. You were made by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and your life was made for Him to bring glory to Him. The Son Jesus Christ has always been. On the night He's betrayed, John 17, verse 24, in Jesus' prayer to His Father, He says, Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am. Talking about heaven to be with me where I am, that they might see my glory, the glory you have given to me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. In other words, Jesus is talking about that uh, God had loved him before he even created anything. God is love, the Bible tells us. And God is not love because he created us and loves us. You see, before anything else was created, planets, people, angels, God is love, and love always requires an object of love. And there was that object of love. The Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father, and the Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Son. God's plan of salvation through the Son was also put in play before a single Adam was spoken into existence and created. Revelation 13, verse 8 says, Behold the Lamb of God slain, from the foundation of the world. already knew this was going to happen before He created a single thing. The Son would be slain from the foundation of the world. Second Timothy 1, verse 9 says, God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this grace was hidden from ancient times before the creation, before the beginning of time, has now been revealed to us through the appearing of His Son, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus Christ was fully God. Isaiah said, He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. He's wonderful counselor. Jesus Himself said in John 8, Before Abraham was, I am. He used the name of God, I am who I am, Jehovah, Yahweh, to refer to himself. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said in John 10 verse 30, the Father and I are one. John said in John, Jesus said in John 14 verse 9, he says, Philip, have you been with me so long and you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, has seen the Father. Paul talked about it this way in his writings: In him, he, he, in very nature, he was God. In very nature, he was God. Philippians two six. In Colossians one nineteen, Paul writes and says, "For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." Colossians two nine says. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, the Godhead, all the fullness of what it means to be God, dwelt in Him in bodily form. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, The Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. The exact representation of His being. You and I were created on earth when you and I were conceived. Our bodies and souls came into existence when we were conceived. Jesus was always eternally one with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was sent from heaven. He didn't begin his existence on earth. He was sent from heaven. And he used that language repeatedly. I've been sent from the Father. He was sent from heaven, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. Because he was for God, he was the only man who lived his entire life without sinning. Jesus Christ never sinned in anything he ever did, in anything he ever said, or in anything he ever thought. The Bible backs this up. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, he knew no sin, to become sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 3, verse 5. John the fisherman says it. He came to pay the price for our sins, and in Him is no sin. Peter says it. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. The writers of Hebrews says it. Hebrews 4, 15. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. And Jesus Himself said it. In John 8, 29, Jesus said, the one who sent me, I didn't start my existence on earth, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always, I always do what pleases Him. He always does what pleased God the Father. He never sinned. Jesus Christ was fully God without sin. Yet Jesus Christ was also fully man. We can understand that, but it's hard to comprehend all at the same time. How can the mighty God of the whole universe become a man? As John one fourteen says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The biggest part on this comes from Philippians 2 where it says, though He was in very nature God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped But He emptied Himself and took on the form of the servant being found in human likeness. It says Jesus emptied Himself. What does that look like? What did that look like for His 33 years when He was on the earth? Well, first of all, it meant that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, He had to learn. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to read read. He had to learn how to write. He had to learn what was not known before in his human brain. And the Bible tells us that. There were no shortcuts. It was nothing automatic. Luke 2 verse 52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Just like his body grew, he had to grow in wisdom. Also, he had to learn. We know from the Bible that Almighty God in heaven is never hungry, never thirsty, never tired. But the man Jesus Christ was hungry, was thirsty, and he was tired, and he was not play acting. It was real. It was real hunger, real thirst, real fatigue. We know that God Almighty in heaven never sleeps. The Bible tells us that. The man Jesus slept, he's not pretending. I just got my eyes closed. I looked like... He was sleeping. He was sleeping. God the Father is spirit and unseen by any man. But the man Jesus is seen and He's touched and He says, whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. God Almighty is all-powerful. God Almighty is present everywhere and knows everything. The man Jesus is not all-powerful. Angels come and strengthen Him. After his temptation and his fasting, angels come to strengthen him when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is not present everywhere, he's in one spot at one time. He does not know everything as a man on earth, he doesn't know the day or the hour of his second coming. He doesn't know who touched the hem of his garment at first, and he's not play acting. Is he lying? Is he being cute? No, he's not play-acting. He's not lying. He really does not know. The God who is God in heaven is never tempted by evil, but when Jesus came to earth in the flesh, he is tempted. He is tempted by the devil. Tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus Christ is fully God, but he's also... Fully man. Whether we can grasp this or explain it in logical, rational terms or not, nevertheless, that is what the Bible teaches. So in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. This blessing tells us about the Trinity, but it tells us more. It tells us about grace. Grace is God's free gift. We owe a debt, We could not pay, and Jesus paid a debt He did not owe. We have free forgiveness and compassion from God, mercy and kindness shown to us. And because grace and forgiveness and compassion is shown to us, the result is is that God desires us, with His Holy Spirit working in us, to be gracious to others, to be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving and compassionate. To show grace to other people. To be patient in understanding with the child as they grow and develop and mature. To be patient in understanding with unbelievers who are blinded by the devil. Lost without Christ. To be patient in understanding with a new Christian as they experience this new life in Christ. To be patient and understanding with old Christians who should know better. Who should know better, but still stumble. Peter came to Jesus and said, Teacher, Master, Lord, should I forgive my brother seven times when he sins against me? Jesus said, no. Seven times seventy. Seven times seventy. Those who mistreat you, those who slander you, forgive them. When Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, He finished it off by saying, if you forgive the trespasses of those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive those who trespass against you, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you your trespasses. It's easy. It's an easy thing to be thankful for God's grace. Thank you, God, for this grace, this free gift this free forgiveness, this compassion you've shown to me. But we find it hard to deal with others in the same way. To show grace, we need to remember we've been shown grace from God. And in fact, we need more grace from God to show grace to others. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with you. And it says, in the love of God be with you. The love of God the Father be with you. It's a twisted thing. It's a twisted thing to think that God the Father is Mr. Wrath and God the Son, Jesus Christ, is bursting with love. God is one. God is one. All of God will pour out wrath on sin and unbelievers one day. All all judgment has been entrusted to the Son. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of who? Of Jesus Christ one day. And all of God shows love to us. God is love, first John four sixteen. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jeremiah thirty-one three says, God says, I, I've loved you with an everlasting love. It's always been there. It's always been there. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. We all sought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He saved us that we might love like God loves. May the love of God be with you all. Be with you all. He saved us that we might love like God loves. So we're to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we're to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to love others above ourselves. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says nobody should speak his own good, but the good of others. 1 Corinthians 16.14 says let everything you do be done in love. Let everything you do be done in love. God's love for us, not just about this life, our health, our wealth, our pleasure, our good times. But God's love had to do with our eternal life. A desire for us to be saved and live with Him forever in heaven. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, This pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. And so if He loves us, and we have God's love in our hearts, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, so if we really love other people, then it's a matter of making the gospel known. Yes, feed your neighbor. Help your neighbor. Do all sorts of good, kind, loving things for a neighbor. Send gifts to children throughout the world. But our biggest gift we have to offer them is the gospel And that's what the local workers will be doing. Sharing the gospel with them. To have a concern for people's eternal salvation. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 says, Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade people. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others, men, people. Then down in verse 14, and it says, For Christ's love compels us. Compels us. Because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. No matter what you think you're doing to love other people, you have not loved them until you implore them to be reconciled to God. To receive the free gift of salvation. Do You pray for others. <clears throat> Paul talked about praying. Romans 10, verse 1. My heart's desire and prayer to God my people <clears throat> is that they might be saved. <clears throat> you have a desire in your heart that others get saved. Romans 9 verse 3 Paul says I wish for the sake of my people Israel that I myself could be accursed and cut off. Paul saying I desire for others to know Christ so much I'd be willing to go to hell in their place. But he can't because he's not the sinless one. Only one was without sin. Only one went to the cross. But His desire was theirs so greatly that He expressed it that way. If it were possible, I'd trade my own salvation in if others could be saved. you have boldness? Ephesians 6, verse 19 says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus, are you filled with a sincere love for other people's souls? It's so easy to take one step and say, "I'm okay, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. job finished, no with the love of God in your heart, it's a matter of saying, "I want others to experience that and so 1 peter three fifteen says, "Always be prepared." To make a defense. To give an account of the hope that you have within you to those who ask you. Do it with gentleness. Do it with reverence. Fire up the love of God in your heart and life. May the love of God be with you all. And then it closes by saying, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word fellowship in Greek is koinonia. It means sharing. It means communion. It means fellowship. And while we easily remember God is love, we need to easily remember that God is a God of fellowship. There was this eternal fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one for the other in one God. And He saved us, not just to go our own way, but He saved us so that we might have fellowship with God. To have fellowship with God You have that personal relationship where you daily walk with God, try to please God, that you talk with God in prayer, that you get spoken to from God by reading the Scripture, the Bible, that you daily live your life uh, in praise and thanksgiving, loving others, enjoying the very fact that God has given you life and saved you from your sins. I like the, the old Reformed Catechism where it says, what's the purpose of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him forever. He calls us to fellowship with Him. And we're able to fellowship with God because He's given us this Holy Spirit within us that we might have fellowship with Him. To believe in God, He gives us Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about that on the night He was betrayed in John chapter 14. Another counselor I will give to you, the Spirit of truth. When Jesus leaves, it's okay. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to live within your life. He's with you now, but He will be in you. And He went on to talk about that Spirit coming into them and saying, Everyone who loves Me and keeps My word, My Father and I will make our home in Him. God is one. He says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is making His home in you who believe. Though it's technically, first of all, through the Holy Spirit of God. The Counselor of the Spirit of Truth. This Holy Spirit is a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. That we truly are saved. That we have a home in heaven. The promise is there that He will never leave us or abandon us, but be with us always even to the close of the age. Why? Because He lives there He will not leave. And if you have fellowship with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, guess what God wants you to do? He wants you to have fellowship with one another, with other Christians. To pray together at church, in Sunday school, at home, even at work. To study the Word together. Encourage one another at church, in Sunday school, at home, at work. School, wherever you go. It's about doing life together. And it's about resisting being a loner. God didn't call you to be a loner, but to be a lover. Fellowship with Him and fellowship with one another. So Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day Drawing closer. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And He's a God who gives us grace and love and fellowship. Now we can live new lives with one another. Showing grace to one another. Living love with one another. Living our lives in fellowship with each other. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord power and truth of your word that you are a good and mighty God you've done great things for us and showed us great grace and poured your love out on us and desire to have fellowship with us Lord help us to be filled with your spirit to the extent that your grace overflows that your love overflows that your fellowship overflows in us personally and as a church family and as Christians throughout this area that all the praise might be yours in Christ's name. Amen. If you take your hymn books and turn to number 229, Our God Reigns. If you have a decision to make, I invite you to make it today to come forward while we're singing this hymn. Is the Lord speaking to you to unite with this church? We welcome all those who can testify to a personal faith in Jesus Christ and have followed Him in believers' baptism. Is the Lord speaking to you to be obedient to Him and follow Him in baptism?